0: Hello and welcome back to Words the Bee Gees podcast. I'm Cristiano. And I'm Stuart. And in today's episode, we're going to be looking at the Bee Gees 1971 album, Trafalgar.
1: Yeah, I can't believe, Chris, the amount of positive feedback we've been getting through this. I mean, through you and I just ambling and talking through different albums. But it's great that people are appreciating what we we ramble on about.
0: And what I have liked and what's so positive and, and, and really makes me happy is getting emails and comments from people saying that it's made them revisit and revalue the Bee Gees catalogue just as it has for you and I, going back and... They're not just a disco group from the late 70s. That is one of the main points that when we set up this podcast, we wanted not only to share the underrated songs, but show that the Bee Gees are far more than Saturday Night Fever.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, even the recent documentary doesn't really touch the surface. The trouble is, I don't know whether they'd have the amount of people, but back in... 1995 the Beatles did the six part anthology which covered really nine years Mm. here we're talking 40 50 years so to put a documentary was it hour and a half or something yeah again it, it, it was something that that covered the same ground not too much on the Australian and it sort of does certain bits and certain songs like the ones we're talking about I think mainly for this season just get brushed over quite quickly. And you and I joked before doing this episode that this is
0: this is now going to be the sixth album made in the 1970s. In 1970? Yeah. This album was released in 1971,
1: but so much of it was done in 1970. Yeah, the end of December 70 was when I've got Dan's recording started. So that's six episodes, just one year. And then that carries on,
0: looking at the end of the 70s throughout the 80s. Such a prolific output. Yeah. Well, we'll carry on with today's episode, Trafalgar. When did you first hear this album?
1: I brought this. It's quite funny, actually. I was was doing some Christmas shopping and I was in a, I think it was HMV, and I saw the cassette of this. And I'd recently brought, so it would be about 1980, I recently brought a little book by Larry Price called The Bee Gees, Biography. I mean, I thought that was, at the time, was really good because it listed songs... Up until I think it it did it, it must have been written prior to um, Spirits because it really just goes up to Sergeant Pepper soundtrack. Yep. So at the back of it, it lists a load of songs, and I thought what I would try and do is collect a few. I saw the cassette because that's what I seem to be doing cassettes. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. I seem to be buying cassette version of it. And then as I, I brought it home and listened to it, and it, it was okay, but it needed repeated listening. And then say so they probably didn't bother about it three or four years. And then as I, said, I started to get record collector, and then from there on, yeah. a few more stuff. So it's an album I've never thoroughly embraced, but it's one I've gone back to every now and again.
0: To have gone from a year where you're getting things like Guilty,
1: After Dark. I think that's probably. Now you mentioned that actually, because I brought Guilty when it came out. And I think there was. In 79, I think there was the double best-of Bee Gees, I think, that come out. Memory serves me about well, 79, 8 ish time, and then Barbara's album come out. So I think that reignited stuff in the Bee Gees. Then, obviously, the book and then seeing the sleeve, it's quite eye-catching, even on a cassette. And, uh, yeah, I think that's probably what uh, started this one off. Well, talking about the album artwork and cover... The artwork
0: for this album is taken from Nicholas Pocock's painting The Battle of Trafalgar. And it's really, it's so different to all of their other album covers in that it's a piece of existing artwork. It's not something that's been created for the album. And it fits so perfectly with the mood and the tone of the album. Do you know what I would thought it would have fitted with? Odessa. And that leads me on to another point in that I think this album is more of a sequel to Odessa than Cucumber Castle or Two or Years Old. Without doubt, yeah.
1: This picks up just where Odessa left off. I recently brought the vinyl version of this and I was quite surprised that when when I opened it up the gatefold sleeve that uh, the dad's missing from the picture. And then also on one of the titles, Walking Back to Waterloo, it's only credited to Barry and Robin. There's no Morris on there. But I think it's a really, really effective
0: album cover. In terms of suiting music to artwork, I think it's excellent.
1: Yeah, it's quite apt for it being a gatefold, and you get that picture in the middle. And I suppose that's reenacting the death of Nelson. Yeah. For this episode, we're going to
0: focus on the recording period from December 1970 through to April 1971, which seems to be the primary recording and composition period for this album. Yeah, and another prolific five or six months. Isn't it? Absolutely so, because there are quite a few songs from To Whom It May Concern yeah, that crop up during this period. I will also say that this album consists of 12 tracks. There was a version, I'm not sure how far this version ended up going, that was going to be 14 songs that also included Country Woman oh, and right. We Lost The Road. Yeah. But those were then taken off and left for the next album. And then going on from... Trafalgar being 14 tracks originally, I found an article from Rolling Stone from February 1971, and the journalist Robin Green says that for Trafalgar, they've decided that it will be a double album, even though they haven't written any of the songs for it yet. But that doesn't bother them. They work very quickly, right there in the studio, turning out songs like Donuts. What they do is, they start off with the title before anything else,
1: But yeah, I've read somewhere, Chris, where this album was originally going to be 20 tracks. Mm. They must have had plans for it being a double. But that seems a bit ambitious, considering the um, chart position of the last album. And obviously Odessa didn't do as well as the previous three albums. It's not to say they didn't have the material to do a double album. No. They had plenty. Oh, yeah. They
0: had had a quadruple album in there. It's funny that what Robin Green says in the article about they haven't recorded anything. Well, that, if that's February 71, they, they had a lot in the can already mm. for, for this album. Yeah. But I think it's just what, what they released to the press. Yeah, it's what they tell them, isn't it? In January 1971, Alan Kendall joins the Bee Gees studio and live band on lead guitar. And he would remain with the band till their last live performances. Yeah. And he says, I enjoy melody and the Bee Gees are possibly the most melodic of all writers. So it's a perfect match. Now for the recording of this album it was recorded at IBC Studios in London and it was on sixteen track going in comparison to two years on, which we spoke a bit of length about how that didn't sound the best in terms of its mix. Trafalgar is such a clean and mm. beautiful sounding album you can that they've gone to sixteen track and you can tell that there's so much more clarity Bill Shepard is on absolute fine form it's probably his his best album certainly since Odessa
2: yeah
0: earlier on you said that this album didn't quite connect with you, you couldn't quite embrace it, which is interesting because this album has always been an instant favourite of mine. From the first time I heard it up until now, I have to say that it's my favourite early 70s album up until Mr. Natural, probably from Odessa till that period, out of those five
1: albums, this is my favourite. Looking at people's opinion, it tends to be this one or to whom it may concern. It's definitely an improvement on the on the past one. Yeah. Well, for me personally, I think it, it's it's head and shoulders better than two years on.
0: Before we go into the material on this album and the surrounding material, I'd like to just set the scene. 1971. What's your opinion of this year in music? What are your favourite albums, singles, artists of 1971?
1: Right. Well, well, the main record I remember buying or somebody buying for me in 71 was The New Seekers' I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing, which was based on a, a Coke advert at the time, but regarding albums I, I I still wasn't buying albums by artists it was there was this series of songs on albums like they were called Hot Hits," which was like ninety nine pence for an album, which was at least twelve tracks and they' are all by other people, which I think we mentioned before when Elton John covered August October for Robin Gibbs, so they were all they're all cheap albums of people but in the seventies they were really good albums and I think they used to chart really well I think the first one I got was Hot Hits 71 which I believe nearly topped the album charts in the UK which is amazing for a it's basically a covers album and there was some good, I mean Chuppa Chuppa Cheep Cheap, cheap, which I think I mentioned before I remember playing to death actually Mm -hmm. and then I think I, I collected them throughout 71 but by the end of 72 the novelty was beginning to wear off but like anything, I still had to collect. And I think I I must have went into about 73, Hot It's 19 or 20 or something. And then I think them albums then started to peter out because in the UK at the time, there was a, a label called k and they started bringing out songs by the original artists, but you'd find at least eight or 10 songs on each side. So they were really well compressed. Wow. So that's then they, they took over So there was no need then For these cheap albums to come out So they gradually fade And these are the ones They'd have like k 20 best I don't know By Bread Or or Supremes Do you have favourite albums That you've since discovered From that year? Probably my favourite is Poor Linda McCartney's Ram I also like t Rex Electric Warrior Well, we'll start, Chris, with this one. On December the 7th in 1970, where Morris works on further recordings. I think he sort of finished his Loner and Bits and Pieces, and then he pulls out this composition with Billy Laurie called Talk to the People. I think it's, it's really good, actually, and it, it's a shame, really, that, that some of these co-compositions can't be heard, really. You don't hear many bootlegs or anything. They're, they're nowhere to be seen, but... This has got um, great potential for me, actually. Fits right in on the loner. Yeah, but you can hear the piano style, very Bee Gees as well. You can hear the orchestra in it. I mean, there's even a choir. Yeah. A lot of work, a lot of time was obviously spent on this. But I see it was released a bit later on, but retitled called Back to the People.
2: I wasn't
1: It was released by a singer called Bev Harrell. But interestingly, the A side was, say, Back to the People. The B side was a non-Morris composition called Travelling Easy. But Morris actually did produce and played on Back to the People. And then he also will make a drum and guitar instrumental called A Man in the Wilderness, as well as the piano and vocal tune called Look at Me. And then a couple of days later, Robin holds what appears to be his last solo session. And he does a song called After the Laughter. And it's supposed to be similar to the song Avalanche. And then the second song he does is Why Not Cry Together, which I think we covered that on the Sing Slowly Sisters. We did. Yeah. And then two days later, the Bee Gees return back to work again and they start working with Mike Clayton and, and Andy Knight. The first song they attempt is a song called Together. On this one, Barry takes the lead vocal, which will feature acoustic guitar, Morris on bass, piano, and electric electric chair, electric guitar. <laughs> that gave him a shock. <laughs> and Jeff Bridgeford on drums, again, We've said this many, many times, but this this sits in the vaults. Robin isn't, isn't there on this song, but he comes with a second song from the session. It's called Over the Hill and Over the Mountain. And Andrew Sandoval says, despite the obvious quality of this song, well, it will remain in the vaults. And then we come to the next song, which has been heavily bootlegged. And there's seven takes of it. This one's called Merrily, Merrily Eyes. <laughs>
0: I think this one's superb i can understand why it wasn't included on trafalgar but if it was included i don't think it would have taken away from the album at all it's a really just a really nice joyous piece and i think the triple meter again it's that sort of waltz style of music that robin is so used to using
1: that it would have helped this song to stand out from the rest of the material yeah i really like it like you i really like it but i find it more reminiscent to Cucumber Castle, mm-hmm. but with Robin on vocal on this. I love Bill Shepard's arrangement on it as well. It complements it really well. In Andrew's book, it's got, The song will be built instrumentally around Barry and Morris's acoustic guitars. Take three will be the master and is soon treated to numerous overdubs, including Morris on bass, piano and electric guitar, Jeff on drums. And it's got here as well, Bill Shepherd's arranged orchestration and all three brothers are stacked harmonies with Robin taking the lead on the song's verses. The song will be mixed and at some point they must have had plans to release it. But yeah, it, it sounds to me like a song done and dusted, ready to be put out. And talking about those
0: stacked harmonies, I love the harmony work on this song and I was listening to it for a few times and it's the bit where it goes uh, uh, uh. I was trying to think what does that remind me of with those harmonies and then eventually I was thinking is it, is it a Beatles song I was trying to think what Beatles song mm. is it something from Anthology, Anthology 1 and it's In Spite of All the Danger Oh okay so it's got some, uh, it's got yeah. uh, Very similar harmony work
2: in spite of all the danger In spite of all the danger
1: I mean, for me, this is a sort of a classic Barry and Robin song. Poor old Morris gets left to one side on this one. But you'll find that with most of Trafalgar, Chris, that a majority of the songs are Barry and Robin's compositions. Mm. And it's quite funny, actually, we talk about this album and then we talked about Guilty. But if I remember rightly, the majority of songs on Guilty are Barry and Robin. The last song from this session will be When Do I? So I think with that in mind, shall we start this album rolling? Yeah, let's go into it. Or sail into it, or (laughs) roll, whatever, yeah.
0: We start with side one, track one, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart. (laughs)
3: I can think of younger days when living for my life was everything a man could want to do.
2: I could never see
3: tomorrow, but I was never told. How can you stop the rain from falling down? How can you stop the sun from shining? What makes the world go
0: round? How can you mend a broken heart was recorded twenty eighth of january seventy one, although the famous press story is that it was composed alongside Lonely Days. Yeah. And so credited to Barry Robin and Morris. The song was issued as a single on the 28th of May of 71 and Robert Stigwood issued a press statement to accompany the release of the single saying that all of the Bee Gees' lush romanticism is there with the sweeping strings and Bill Shepherd's instantly recognisable arrangements, which I think perfectly encapsulates yeah. this oh, definitely, yeah. classic song, which I have to say, I think is the greatest Gibb song up to this point in their career. Yeah. I think it's the Best and one of it, it sits in my top five of, of all BG songs.
1: After the last album, and we because we always comment, don't we, on the opening tracks. And after a bit of a downturn, of the last one they've come back with a bang on this, haven't yeah. they? It, it's a 10 out of 10 song for me before we even, even yes, start. Same from me, yeah. I'd give it an 11 if I could. <laughs> in um, the ultimate biography, there's a comment from them, and it's got Robin came to my place says Barry and that afternoon we wrote how can you mend a broken heart and that obviously was a link to us coming back together we called morris finished the song went to the studio and once again with only broken heart as a basic structure we went in the studio with that and an idea for lonely days and those two were recorded that night which is a a thing that they've mentioned ever since mm. that those two were composed together and I'm thinking, well, if they were composed together and you recorded songs that quality, why were not they both put on two years on?
0: Yeah, you're right. If, if they'd been written together, and they must have known it was such a good song when yeah. they wrote you, it. You wouldn't
1: put that in the can, would no. you? Would they say it was that good? We're going to hold it for the next album. But then again, Lonely Days only did well across the water, didn't it? So very odd. But it, it's a story they've tended to go with. And con- considering it, it's poor performance in the uk it's still a well-liked song it played live yeah
0: and my favorite rendition of this song is from 2001 in the promotion for this is where i came in they play a version live and it's the moment when barry before going into the chorus when he does his falsetto breathing everyone in the crowd screams
2: yeah
1: probably a similar reaction to he got when he sang words when I saw him because he likes to sing that stop then the audience really gets lively and then then carries on again and that song has got a similar effect definitely like you Chris this this is up there with 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 the best of best of the bunch
0: it's a lush arrangement sweeping strings and we're back to that majestic sound of Odessa and that is what this album continues with this album is full it's in abundance of ballads and Tone and mood Which all covers Themes of regret Isolation
1: Loss And love Mm, Definitely I mean that's what I mean It's such a surprise That it goes to number one In in America And it doesn't even Hit the top 50 in the UK How did Al Green's version I think that did I don't know I'll have to have a look But I think think that did pretty good It's that version That the UK got to know They must have done Do you like his rendition? Yeah it's fine
2: Would you believe that
3: one told us
1: about the You mention Al Green, Chris, but originally the, the song was offered to Andy Williams. I'm not familiar with him. Is he a ballad singer? Yeah, Andy Williams, yeah, he's sort of a crooner. I would sort of a crooner. He sort of came back in the charts, actually. There was this, this resurgence in the 90s, late 90s for sort of lounge music. But yeah, he's, he's really popular, early 70s. Yeah, I think he had a couple of hits the right person to give this song to. Ab- absolutely, yeah, yeah. Also, we, this one I think is composed by Robin and Barry. But in 2009, on the release of The Ultimate BGS, Morris is credited for the first time as a co-writer of the song. So it took till 2009 to put his name on the It seems on the like
0: one of those classic songs that all three of them should be credited for. It would seem strange that if this was composed... In the same session and in the same day as Lonely Days. And Lonely Days is BRM. Why wouldn't this also be BRM?
1: Yeah. Or whether Barry remembers Morris having a hand in writing something. Only they could know. Yeah. I said before about the matching between the
0: music and the album artwork. But when this song starts and you have that gentle guitar strumming and then piano and then bass that puts sets me on the scene of being on the sea and gently rocking on the sea probably heading towards this battle because I know that this album isn't really a concept album and I think the three brothers have all gone on record to say that this album despite the titles and the lyrics has nothing to do or they didn't intend for it to have anything to do with the battle of Trafalgar Mm. or history but I do think that there is you can draw together a concept on this album, and I'll pick up on it later, and I think this song sets that off
3: really, oh, yeah, really yeah, nicely. Me mend my heart, and
2: let me
0: what was your first exposure to How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Was it the Bee Gees version? Was it a cover that you heard on the
1: radio? Definitely not a cover. I think... I brought Best of the Bee Gees Volume Two, and it was on there, wasn't it? Yeah. Subconsciously, I knew it, but didn't. If you know know what I mean, uh, you know it's one of these. Oh, I've heard that before, but like a lot of their songs. But I wouldn't know. Yeah, but I wouldn't know where, when. It's just a, a track that appeared. So whether it was it was the Best of Two, I can't honestly remember.
0: But it's one of those timeless songs that I'd imagine it must have been in most of their live
1: sets. From nineteen seventy one onwards. So I think it was it was first performed in seventy-one. Yep. Yeah. Right as you say to your favourite version, two
2: thousand and one. Ta-da. Ta-da.
3: Ta-da-da-da. Ta-da-da-da. Ta-da-da-da-da.
2: Ta-da-da-da-da.
1: Quoting Joe Brennan's Gibbs song, seventy-one, it says An error in the tape library in 2001 resulted in the release of an early state of How Can You Mend a Broken Heart. It provides a fascinating insight into the recording process. The basic rhythm track of the guitar, bass and drums is the same as on the finished version. The most obvious difference is that Barry sings all of the lead vocal.
3: I can think of younger days When living for my life ...was everything a man could want to do. I could never see tomorrow... ...I was never told about
2: the sorrow.
0: But I still get the impression that this some of this is the final vocal... ...but what you're hearing in the actual final song is Robin and perhaps Morris's harmonies and vocals layered on top. Dubbed over. Um, dubbed top, yeah. over, and it's just seamlessly mixing and weaving Yeah, Barry and Robin. Because what I really love about this song is that it opens with Robin's vocals, then you get the, the stacked harmonies and the stacked vocals, and then as you get, you go into Barry's side, and then Barry takes over for the chorus, and then throughout the rest of the
1: song, they keep swapping and alternating and then also we've we've found a version, a live version by Andy. And
2: how can you this man? How can a
0: that version by Andy Gibb is superb. You can hear influences from the two brothers, can't
1: you? On that one, I, I think. Yeah,
0: it would be a really fun experiment if anyone could do it—is to get. If you could isolate Andy's voice singing that song and blend it into the final mix so you get all four brothers yeah. taking over and, and swapping because you could easily
1: alternate between Barry and Andy on chorus. But well, I think they've got technology now where they can do a lot of that. <laughs>
0: But it's got a breathtakingly beautiful ending to the song, which leads really nicely into Israel, track two.
3: You've had your troubles Israel, I've seen more But you put the writing on the wall Israel History, yeah. yeah you know I've seen your so many times
1: well this this is the first of three Barry solo compositions that we've hit straight away
0: Barry's providing an effortlessly powerful vocal on this one I think it's one of his greatest vocal performances so far Simply in just how far he goes and how much he gives mm. into the bo- vocal performance. Well,
1: I think he... I've got little notes here. Same as you, and I think it gets better. As the song goes on? Yeah. Oh, it, it, but the song gets on. And then also with, with further solo songs on here. I think he's an he, amazing voice on this album. And it's not only his voice, but
0: it's the it's the beautiful backing harmonies... It's like a choral sound behind him, again, adding... It adds to that majestic theme of the album.
1: Now, I think the beginning of this song sounds a precursor to My World. It does. You can definitely see where that song originated yeah, from. it's quite a simple intro. And same with My World. It, they're all quite simple. And then I think they follow a bit with Run To Me. But I think this is the first of the three that sort of goes in that trend. What do you think to the lyrics? Do you th- have you looked at the lyrics From what I could find, it is Barry's love letter to the country. Yeah, I mean, it's got its it's sort of lyrics is where there's sand, where there's beautiful sand. Yeah, you know, you've you've got a kind of feeling just that's grand. Take me into your arms. Let me be with you. Israel, Israel. Well, given the nature
0: of the song and what it's talking about, this was swapped from being the B-side to How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, to being the A-side in Israel, so it was released as an A-side. Oh, I was going
1: there. to say, was it was it uh, a hit there? It didn't
0: chart there. However, in 1972, it was released in Europe and New Zealand uh, with Dearest as the B-side, and it was more successful there.
1: Yeah, I, I've read somewhere that it in, I think it was Belgium or something like that, it got to number 22. Yeah. yeah. So that that's good for a song that I, I think is good, but I wouldn't... Put it. Uh, I was about to say, as a it's, single,
0: it's not single material. No,
1: it's it's out. It's an album song for me, and as as I say, it's my least favorite of of, of Barry's three.
0: And also, like how can you mend a broken heart? And the following solo Barry songs, it's that last minute. It's just so good where yeah. everything's
1: thrown at. I think he builds and builds on on this one. We're still in sort of ballad territory, aren't we? Yeah, it's got a a sort of a pleading verse. ...with a rousing chorus.
2: To
1: Do you have recording information for this one? Well, this one was recorded on the 7th of April... ...so it must have been toward one of the last sessions for Trafalgar... ...but they did four songs on this session... ...and it's quite interesting. You've got Israel Barry Solo... Then you've got Morris's It's Just The Way, solo composition. Then poor old Robin brings in engines and aeroplanes that has a similar fate to the previous album that it was meant to be for. <laughs> and then Barry also tries out another one of his solo songs, Don't Want To Live Inside Myself. So quite a productive um, day's work, that one.
0: We don't have that version of engines, aeroplanes from this album, but I, I, re- I just can't imagine that on this album. No.
1: Would you thought they just redid the vocals? Or do you think they put back in vocals so it didn't sound like a robin solo? But that version that we had from
0: Saved by the Bell sounds pretty complete as it is. Yeah. So apart from adding Morris and Barry harmonies or vocals and then having them having Morris on bass, Barry on rhythm guitar, etc. Yeah, I can't imagine it sounding too too different.
1: Yeah. And one thing I've noticed from this album, I don't think Robin plays on any instruments at all. He's just solely vocal. If
0: Morris is taking on bass and piano duties, they've now got Alan Kendall in and if Barry's on rhythm guitar I suppose what is there left for Robin to do yeah
1: it's a good song this one and I'm on that I've been in minute a six that low I've gone for an eight for this oh okay
0: that takes us on to the third song The Greatest Man in the World
3: Before I heard your voice I never heard the sound like that before I wanna hear it more and more Take me to heaven
1: Wow, wow, wow. I've got to say, this this is my favourite of Barry's on the album. Yeah. Apart from How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, for me, this, this is the best song on the album. Easy, easy. I just love his vocals. Yeah. I mean, it could almost be a Barry solo recording. It's got gorgeous melody. My only criticism with this
0: is that it would have been nice to have had Robin take over, even just for a verse. Yeah. This is now the second track in a row where it's Barry on vocal duties which I know becomes the style of the late 70s but it would have been nice to have had a bit more involvement
1: from Robin but for me this song is why I like the Bee Gees it's one of those that makes your hair stand up it's just really good I can't describe it just it just I I just think it's that good I've pinpointed three minutes 20 Barry's got an
0: almost pain-stricken quality to his vocal you can every bit of emotion is there the message of the song is there in the power of his vocal yeah it's incredible
1: yeah and I really like the last third I've got that in my notes as well where the arrangement and he just repeats it
0: I do think that this is continuing a really great opening three songs on the album. This is another one of those Bee Gees albums that just has such a a great choice for opening three, despite two of them being solo Barry. I think they made the right choice with each of these three songs. Yeah,
1: very good. This is one of my lost Bee Gees songs. You know, the ones that needs to be heard that hasn't been heard. we said this along the way. There are quite a few, aren't there, that, that could have been and should have been more popular than what they are. But I don't see any other tracks really jumping out as single material. Maybe Trafalgar, the title
0: track, yeah. could do something. Whereas something like Engines, Aeroplanes, despite not being on the album... is probably the most could, poppiest. Could be it? a
1: great A-side. Yeah. I've also got an, another version of this, which sounds like a... I don't know whether it's a demo or it's just a different version. Uh, well, it's not a different version. It's something altogether different. I
3: saw your face. String's coming here. Mm-hmm. I never saw a dream like that before. I wanna see it more and more.
1: It sounds a bit like it's from a press release, that version. Yeah, I didn't, until you listened to it, you didn't realise all those people in the background chattering away and stuff, so it hmm. could be. A yeah, really weird off air recording. Yeah. But great to have, to hear like a stripped back unplugged yeah. version of the song. That's why i said all along it'd be just really good to hear them. Acoustic guitars playing stuff Magical
0: I've given this one a 9 Yeah, and I'm going with a 10 So again, it just proves that this is such a, a powerful opening three songs to an album
1: Well, I, I think the fourth song doesn't let you down either
0: No, 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 no it, And it's good to have Morris Yeah
3: Just the way that I feel about tomorrow I'll be sad and alone all the time it's just the way that you said, you don't love me anymore, than goodbye. I can't believe what
2: you're saying, you don't love me anymore,
0: goodbye. It's just the way it was recorded 7th of April, so right at the end of the session. Yeah. Greatest Man in the World was the day before 6th of April. And then Israel was also 7th of April. So a lot of these later songs are at the beginning of the album.
1: But I really like like this one. I think he plays on virtually everything himself. It's virtually like a solo recording. It's nice, sort of stripped back, simple, simple arrangements. And it's what you need after the three really powerful ballads before. It doesn't change the tempo dramatically, does it? No. But it sort of flows along really nicely. You can hear the improvement, I think, in Morris's compositions and stuff he's he's finding his own feet but i wouldn't describe this as a a morris swamp song because every song we get don't we from sort of 70 this is one of his swamp songs to this is definitely not no it's not and
0: and it's got an unusual song structure as there's no clear verse or chorus it it, it all just flows verse becomes chorus and vice versa mm. but i love the direction that the song goes in towards one minute 'Cause this perfectly showcases Shepard's orchestral arrangement and I said before I, I think he's just on absolute fire throughout this album mm-hmm. is Bill Shepard.
2: You don't love me anymore Goodbye.
1: You do appreciate things a lot more with a with a quality recording, yeah. I'm not really one for looking at lyrics, but I don't know if you looked on the lyrics. But I'm, I'm just wondering if it's to do with his relationship with Lulu, his wife. Because if you look at the lyrics, it's just the way that I feel about tomorrow. I'll be sad and alone all the time. It's just the way that you said you don't love me anymore. Then goodbye. I can't believe what you're saying. And then the closing line says, I only know that friends can't be lovers again.
0: I'd never made the connection, but I think you're spot on there. I think, you're, I think you're right there.
1: Yeah, it's quite refreshing to hear, rather as you say, abstract lyrics and... Something
0: autobiographical. Yeah. But it is nice to hear there is use of brass arrangement, which we didn't have too much of from two years on. Lonely Days had it, and a couple of others, but it's, it's nice. I think this is the sort of album of material that just plays to Shepherd's strengths Mm. It's the sort of songs that he can just arrange so well, as he did with Odessa.
2: That's the way I've been thinking about tomorrow.
3: I only know
2: that friends can't be lovers
3: again.
1: For my score with this one, Chris, I'm torn between a six and a seven. But I think I prefer it slightly to Israel. So I, I think on that basis, I'm going to go for a seven. I'm the same with you. Seven. Yeah. Just nice to hear Robin, to, sorry, Robin, to hear Morris Shine on a song. And talking to Shining, how do you think Robin performs on the next song? Remembering. Which is the weakest
0: on the album, <laughs> I think. It's a shame because Robin has so collected up so much material over the past 16, 18 months. And this is the one that gets used for the album.
3: I'll keep
0: For me, the best part is the chorus. What I've written in my notes is that this is Robin's Don't Forget to Remember. Oh, okay, yeah. It's a very saccharine and syrupy ballad. It perfectly suits the mood of the album. I can understand why it was used and why it was included. But it seems strange that Robin was offering songs such as this, but then at the same time, engines, aeroplanes, and they're so different to each other.
1: You said it wouldn't fit the album, but I think we need a song with a more poppier structure from Robin.
0: Yeah, more like Alone Again.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we need, we need something that's... But we we talk about this, but but actually this is a Barry and Robin composition. But I think because the way of the feel, the vocals, the mood of it, it, it just screams Robin. But obviously Barry was there, whether it's to alter the melody a bit, or as I just said, I prefer the chorus. Mm. So I'm wondering whether... Barry had a hand a hand in, in, in the, the chorus. And, and
0: that's what reminds me of Don't Forget to Remember, it's that it sway, yeah. swaying ballad. Yeah.
3: And I'm facing the life that
2: I must go through
1: It's a shame really because it after four really good tracks, this lets it down.
0: And then also it's that the next two Robin lead vocal songs are also melancholic songs so there's
1: not much variation from him I think it's definitely a Robin lyric it sounds I mean who would write now I feel as good as if I was dead (laughs) I I can't I don't think Barry would come up with that do you it's it's Robin all over yeah I've gone for a five this one yeah I've got a five as well and now we come to I think is this the last track on side one it is quite apt for the end of a side because it's somebody stop the music so
0: you can either stop the music after this or you can turn (laughs) over onto side two yeah well I think we'll carry on for this uh,
1: this one absolutely
3: somebody stop the music somebody stop the tune somebody crown the clown with the red
0: This is the one song that I always forget when I think about the album. I don't know why, but every time I then listen to the album
1: and I hear this, I'm pleasantly surprised by it. And I really like it. Now we come back to a, a Barry and Morris composition on, on this one. And I, I've put here, I think to me it sounds like two or three songs joined together. You've got the slowish verse, and then you've got quite an anthemic chorus. But I, I do like the bit where it, it's Baby Don't Love You, yeah, and that they keep repeating. It. It's like a break, and I think it's a glimpse into what they do in four or five years' time.
0: and i think the whole song would have benefited from being like that because it's got a really nice feel yeah. and groove to it that would have meant that it just would have been a change of pace from the rest of the album and as you said yeah it's quite looking forward to the style of oh, that oh i think so and then i carry on. i think it
1: would have benefited from swapping this with remembering putting this one after morrison and and put this one on and then finishing with remembering on side one and and i was trying to think just then what song is this going forwards to and
0: i think it's like harry's gate rocky la this song is like that in that you've got those that split between a more ballad section and then that much faster chugging
1: yeah but i was thinking the chorus is quite sort of up tempo and i was thinking more of mr natural ah, leading okay. on to that that's that's what i was leaning towards on that on that bit of section throw a penny yeah i was yeah i was going more up down the road that sort of stuff Well, according to Andrew's book, the song was initially called Today I Saw the Sun and will be based, like so many early productions, around Barry and Morris's acoustic guitar. So that's probably where it, it could have been Morris-based or it could have been written
2: mm. mm-hmm.
1: on, on acoustic guitar. And it says, after three false starts, the master will be captured on tape four, which will feature some inventive overdub bass work from Morris. So, yeah. But it doesn't mention... That seems to me like the beginning of the song, but it doesn't really mention there how they changed. The, the different styles. No, no. So I, I'm wondering whether that was all done before they came into the studio.
0: This is one of those ones I couldn't find a date for when it was recorded. No, there, there are a
1: couple on this, aren't there, that, that remain undated.
0: Ironically, remembering undated. Yeah, <laughs> forgot <laughs> no, that one. No one remembered. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think on on this one I'm going to go just for the sake that it's it's a change I'm going with a seven on this
0: yeah I'm I'm there a seven as well and that is the end of side one and we'll turn over onto side
1: two and let the battle begin with uh, Trafalgar
2: Trafalgar I need some
0: It's great that Morris has two solo contributions on the album, but it's also great that Morris gets to open up Side 2 and it's the first time that he's ever opened up either Side 2 or Side 1.
1: Well, it's not often. He get he gets the solo out in full stop, is it? So at least with these songs, after the breakup, we're starting to see more of his stuff coming to the fore. I wonder whether that was to do with the, you know, when, when they decided to come back together again, that he probably said, look, a fair I share. Like, I would like an, an increased share because yes. this is what I've produced on my own, and obviously with Billy Laurie they were quite productive. Um, it's a little bit like the George Harrison syndrome, isn't it? He, you know, he releases a triple album because he had so many songs stacked up. Stacked up, and I'm wondering now this is similar. Hence, why we get a couple of solo ones, and then the next a couple of singles they got more solos as well. But yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think this is this is a great track. This one. And it's not at all about Trafalgar, is it? No. This one. I think, but what I can gather, it's about a man living in London who's really lonely and spends most of his time feeding the pigeons. It's one of those where, a bit like, is it The Greatest Man, where the the, the title of the song just keeps getting repeated. Yeah. Like this one, it's Trafalgar, Trafalgar. Trafalgar. The
0: story, as Morris recalls, it's someone feeding the pigeons. And he then says, a lot of people are going to think that the album Trafalgar has a general historical theme running through. And Morris says, I'm afraid that it's slightly misleading because none of them have any bearing on history at all. Mm. Even later songs like Walking Back to Waterloo which and Lion in Winter,
1: I, w- I was sure that those were about the Battle of Trafalgar or about historical battles, but they're not they must have sent master, the mast or the album's going to be called Trafalgar without going into too much detail. And naturally, as as a company that's going to produce the album cover... And if you're seeing other songs titled Walking Back to Waterloo, Trafalgar, you think ka we're, we're going to do a...
0: A historical-based artwork. Uh,
1: yeah. So I can, I can see where, where that come from, but it wasn't explained that none of these songs relate to the Battle of Trafalgar. There is a line, I think, in this one which i am printing my notes called, Sitting Cross-Legged and on my own yet I'm not alone. Now, the singing style on that reminded me of the Beatles around Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. Time. I don't know why, I listen. I played it in the car and I thought, oh. Sitting
3: cross-legged on my own And yet I'm
0: But this song is full of trademark Morris in terms of his performance with the excellent bass work, the style of piano I think he plays all the instruments
1: again, isn't he? Apart from obviously orchestration, which is another highlight as well. Yeah. But yeah, on that, I'm going to probably go with a seven as well. Yeah, I've gone with a six for this one. Six, okay. And the next one we're going to do is the second single from the album and that's called Don't Want to Live Inside Myself.
3: I know exactly how I feel Don't want to live
1: This song, Chris, was described by Robin Gibb on the Tales from the Brothers box set as the dawning or the closing of the Gotta Find Out Who I Really Am era. Quite quite an unusual one okay. there. And it's still quite an unusual song to pick as, as a single. It was released in November 71, so it's like four or five months after How Can You Mend a Broken Heart. Two months after the album. Yeah, yeah. And Walking Back to Waterloo was released... As a double A-side in Spain, Canada, Japan and in the US. Did it do much in the charts in those territories? It got to number a peak of 53 in the US top 100. So it was a bit of a drop down from How Can You Mend a Broken Heart. In Cashbox, the song peaked at 39. In Record World, Don't Want to Live Inside Myself got even higher to number 30. But it's quite interesting. I've managed to find a couple of reviews. One of them was Record World, listed it as one of its four singles of the week, writing, Since the group's reformation, every B.G. single has shot up to number one, two or three, and there's no reason to believe their latest from Trafalgar won't do as well. Cashbox listed the song third in its October 16th pick of the week, ahead of such future smashes as the theme from Shaft, and John Lennon's Imagine, and You Are Everything by the Stylistics. Another classic outing from the Brothers Gibb, certain to trigger off a mighty sales explosion. In retrospect,
0: I'm not quite sure whether this really was a right choice for single, even as a second single. We said earlier that there's not much else on the album, aside from How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, that really screams single, A-side material. Yeah, I mean...
1: On my notes, I've I've put it's got an, an unusual chorus, despite it being a you know a, well I think it's a, it's a good song, really good song. I think this one's is dramatic, and I know it's a sad one. Do you think Barry's influenced by some of Robin's lyrics? I've got I went walking through a graveyard, where the darkness is my friend. I mean that's hardly chart material lyrics, is it?
0: Now against everything that I've said before about this not being a Perfect choice for single. Again, I think this is one of the finest Gibb compositions so far. And I think this is another incredible Barry vocal, especially that second chorus, when he's harmonising to himself, but one octave higher, is superb. It's so good.
2: Don't
3: live
0: Throughout many of the songs on this album, Barry's voice tends to it seems to break and scratch a lot during a lot of these songs I don't know whether that's because he was just hitting notes that his voice couldn't sustain or if he if his voice wasn't in the right shape during this time or if it was intentional I don't know but it adds so much to conveying the message and the tone of all the songs. It's a strange one. It's almost too good to be a single. Yeah, one. yeah. Whereas, I, I, whereas, how can you mend a broken heart is the perfect marriage between pop and ballad. Yeah. Whereas this just doesn't. It doesn't quite have that radio-friendly front to it, despite it being an incredible. I, know, I mean, piece I of think user. the arrangement
1: is probably the biggest arrangement they've probably put on since Odessa.
0: Yeah, and that goes again with the five minutes twenty-five running yeah. length. And again, beautiful ending with the twinkling strings and choral vocals.
1: And also what's good is we found a live version of uh, this song. It was recorded in 74, I believe. I assume they were probably promoting um, Mr Natural. What I like about this, you've actually got uh, Robin on vocals as well, which you don't get on the sing- on the album. Yeah, it adds that something
0: to the song which might have been missing from the studio version as well, Robin, Robin takes over the last verse.
1: Well, that's what I like when groups go live. I, I quite like it when they do vary slightly from what you get normally in the studio yeah okay it's it's nice to hear a song how you know it but at the same time it is is good to get a different interpretation of it
0: it's an interesting song for them to have picked for this tour
1: yeah because I mean Obviously, then they're dipping back four years, aren't they? Mm. So, and it's very rarely that they do go back, apart from the, the hit singles.
0: Yeah, this is a, an unusual pick, but it's good to hear it live. Yeah. I wonder if Arif Mardin had anything to do with this live arrangement.
1: Unless you like that, the style of this song, because it is a solo barry, wasn't it? And then wanted to take it forward onto, I mean, I assume obviously they recorded um, main course and was looking to um, go with the next one. Yeah. But on, on that, Chris, I'm going to go with an eight on this. I'm
0: going with a nine.
3: If so then I know that I'm losing you and you know the address where we live but I When do I, and when do I, and I know if there's an answer, why? I wonder if I know where I feel.
0: When do I, this is a Barry and Robin composition, 28th of January. I think on this one, the verse is much stronger than the chorus. I really like the way the verse is going, and we had this with... Um, I Laugh in Your Face on Odessa, which had a really beautiful verse and then we were both let down by the chorus. And this is another one of those instances where I can see where this song's going and what it's trying to do, but Robin seems to struggle with the lower range of the song when he tries to do those really low Yeah, lines. well,
1: that's what I've got, actually. I've got, I thought Robin goes a bit croaky on the part where he goes, I wonder if I knew where I fit in. Yeah. Whether it's to add emotion to it and it's a first, it's, Probably the first times we've heard that croakiness in Robin's voice. I think it's one of the lowest notes that Robin ever hits. Well, I've put a little note here that I think it's the lowest... There's a a song probably you're not too much aware of called Monday's Rain from the Australian years. And that's a a deep vocal. and And I think that's... Robin's going back in that territory for this one. Don't let
2: me walk
1: This is a song that they originally did for two years on and then held back, thinking, as you probably said, they could do more work to. So I don't know whether they did a lot of work to it or just tidied it up a little bit
2: Mm. and
1: and put it on here. Yeah. I like it, but I don't think it's one of the um, the strongest songs that they could have gone for. I like the dramatic start to it. Yeah. And as I say, then, then Robin goes into a few vocal acrobats, which we... Can hear quite clearly on this one, but I I haven't really read too much into the lyrics on this. So when do I? When do I? What?
0: (laughs) (laughs) When do I swap this out for a better song? (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't. I don't honestly know.
0: As it stands, it's a fine album song in it, and it so perfectly fits in with what this album is about. But unfortunately, it's it's, an, it's a five. I've gone with a five, Chris, on this as well. Well, for the next song, Dearest, which is another Robin composition, although also credited to Barry as well, with remembering When Do I and Dearest, I think Dearest is the strongest of them.
1: I've, I've been looking on this one, and there have been mixed bags on this. I've heard people call it the dreariest. Yeah. And then there's other people like yourself that, that, that <laughs> De- lie. Dearest, dreariest. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, drearest. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, really maudlin and, and... Sickly sweet. Yeah, how, how sad do you want to go on an album? But let's, we'll have a listen and then we'll see what we think.
3: I hear you calling me dear. Than I've ever been before To have you calling me Dearest once more
0: But I think despite that, there is beautiful back and forth trading between Robin and Barry and I think that if Cucumber Castle was Robin and Barry as opposed to barry and morris these would be the sort of songs that we would have had
1: yeah i mean i mean i've got down here passionate vocals yeah which which i think they are and again we've we've got the um voice where robin cracks just adds to the feel of of the sadness of the song Well, this one was recorded on the 23rd of March and there's a few comments in. Barry will lead Morris through six takes, singing off mic, before landing the master on take seven. To this track, a variety of vocals from Barry and Robin will be overdubbed and then Bill Shepard will add finishing touches of strings. And that's what we get on Trafalgar. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think with When Do I and Dearest, we see me personally, I think this is where the album dips. Yeah. And I feel where songs that we'll come to shortly and released could slot in here quite easily and definitely improve the album.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Lyrics aside, I did pick up on some of the, the musical structure of this song. And I did think that there was a great use of the seventh chord. Uh, I think it's a G seventh chord is what's used at the end of the verse when Barry goes into that high, almost that sighing trick that he uses in How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Because it creates a sense of suspense before going into releasing that suspense in the chorus. Okay. He yeah. says, My dearest, and it yeah. goes back down again. But the Bee Gees are using this throughout all of their songs. They know the tricks to use. They know the way to what chords... To go to in the key before then going into the chorus It's little tricks to use.
1: To make the chorus sound better than what it is, is that, do you
0: mean? Yeah, and I picked up on it way back in idea for Let There Be Love. When they use that chord for suspense at the beginning before then going into, I think it was, It might have been a, I can't remember what the chords were, maybe B flat to then going into a C, which is just a clever way of, it adds more power to the chorus than might be there otherwise.
1: Oh, Okay. I learned something there. you so has been the expert of the tambourine. It's not something I would have picked up on. So, uh, With this in mind, score-wise, um, I'm going to give Dearest, or "Is This sincere relation, part two. Unfortunately, I'm going down with a four. Okay. Oh, no, I've gone through a six.
3: You want to make me big, man A star on the screen some kind of James Brown, or something in between. here When I look for money, you smother me in charms. I can't live on glory when you're bending both my arms.
1: Well then, Chris, how do you feel about the line
0: in winter? This is very soulful, and it reminded me of the style on Cucumber Castle again. I mean, I think it's got an unusual begin to this. So it's very stripped back. There's about 30 seconds of just the kick drum. That's it. Which I thought was quite funny how they open the song with a kick drum here with that, the drum rhythm here is just a dun, 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 dun. 16 years later on ESP with You Win Again, the difference there between the opening drum on that when you've got the the 80s production.
1: Yeah. It's quite an unusual song in the catalogue. But not unusual on this album. No. It's sort of in- unusual enough to fit.
0: I had a look online, looking up what "lion in winter" could actually refer to. The closest that I could find was a 1968 film with Peter O'Toole, all about Henry the Second. So I could imagine that the lion in winter, if Robin's taking that as a metaphor,
1: because he likes his historical stuff.
0: Yeah, he does. That he would like to think about a lion in winter and comparing himself to someone who's going into a a battle that they can't win. Yeah, that's, that's the only connection that sort I can think. So the underdog. Yeah, exactly. Which is then why it surprised me so much when Morris said that none of the songs have historical meaning mm. and yet you've got a song like this which I think is just drenched in historical metaphor but it could be me trying to read too much into something that might just be Robin seeing a title that he likes and...
1: Yeah, and just, and just putting goes for it, yeah. Well, he certainly goes for it in a big way anyway. So on that basis, I'm going to go with a five. Okay, I'm with a seven. And now to another highlight for me, walking back to Waterloo.
3: A thousand ships, a windy sail, so huge and high. It's tall enough to touch the sky, it's beautiful but hard to find. But I just wasn't born in time
1: So this, this, believe it or not, Chris, is the only song on the album that's credited to all three brothers. It's amazing, isn't it? For a group that's just come back together again. Okay, it's their second album. To be the only song composed by, well, we say the only song composed by all three is, is amazing, but it's a classic. Yeah,
0: it's a perfect choice for album closer. And the song opens really dramatically. And I think... The song kind of encapsulates the whole album. It perfectly surmises the themes of Trafalgar. But yeah, I think it's got another majestic chorus. And I I just can't think if if this isn't about historical references, what is this song about? Walking back to Waterloo, Waterloo train station.
1: I assume, again, it's, it's similar to what Trafalgar talks about, loneliness. Yeah. They sort of fit as a one and a two, these two. But I think the vocals are superb on this. Brilliant arrangement to match. I mean, the swirling strings really, really fit it. It's probably for me, probably one of the best songs the Bee Gees have gone out of an album with.
0: It's well to part from the closer to the previous album. I'm oh, weeping. I'm weeping. Oh, gosh. This is just going out with a bang. I do really like The British Opera On Odessa. Odessa.
1: Yeah I, I would say that But it's still way better Than Some of the other stuff Maybe no, the others are not bad You, you know You've got um, As you say I'm Weeping Swan Song Is it Close Another Door?
0: Close Another Door Yeah Don't Forget to Remember Oh yeah I'd Forgotten that one <laughs> the song has quite an unusual almost unresolved ending to it it's like it leaves the listener wanting more which is the perfect that is every album should always close with leaving the listener wanting more Yeah, and this album does it with walking
1: back to waterloo it's up there with with my favorite favorite ones yeah i've going to go with a 9 on this So, I think on that, Chris, we've come to the end of Trafalgar. But there's still some more songs to go through. And there's more, and there's more. We'll go to the B side Country Woman. Is really upbeat and catchy, and I think Morris is growing into a really good pop song writer. And there's a great comparison, I think, between this and the song Everybody Clap that he writes for Lulu, which we'll which we we'll do shortly. They're like his version and her version of a similar, similar song. I've got Danny, I think it's a great shame this was left off the album. It's really upbeat, it's got a good Morris vocal. And I think if I was Morris, I'd be really disappointed that this didn't make the album cut. But I suppose if you think about it, really, it, like how can you mend a broken heart got to number one? This was the B-side to that single. Probably more people in in the States heard Country Woman than, than probably heard tracks from Trafalgar.
0: Yeah, they would have heard it more from the, being the B-side to the popular A-side than from being included on a 12 or 13 album.
1: Because that's what the Beatles did. Isn't it? Yeah. They always, particularly the early 60s, every A and B side was not on the the album that went along with it. They're always, always
0: separate. And a lot of the times with songs like This Boy, you've got a B side, which This Boy, I think, is better than anything that's on with the Beatles.
1: Yeah, and yes, it is and stuff like yeah. that. Really good. And I, I think this is the same thing here, where they're carrying on with a sort of 60s tradition of putting stuff that they didn't feel fitted. Obviously, to put it on there, fitted on Trafalgar. Whether it, it, it the mood was too poppy, saying that it, it's a great B side. I mean, if you got this and How to mend, it, it's probably one of the best BGS and B sides, full stop. Isn't it? Certainly up to that point. Yeah. Well, it was never put on any album, and I think the only time it, the first time it was put onto any sort of proper collection, was the Towers of the Brothers Gibb.
0: Looking at the accompanying booklet that came with that box set, Morris has a quotation for Country Woman, and he says that it fits into his country or swamp music period. Really a warm up to much better songs. Johnny Cash, you have nothing to worry about. (laughs) So he's a bit, he's putting it down, and I don't don't think
1: he should. I won't because it's swamp as well, but I'd say more pop than anything else. It's definitely of its time, definitely sort of 71 ish. As you mentioned earlier on about brass. But no, a good good track.
0: Should we go on to the song that it reminded you of? Everybody
2: clapped.
1: Yeah. Well, do you see what I mean? It's very similar, isn't it? The same feel, the the the, the stop start. They're definitely like brother it, and sister. It's that, it's that two beat there. Dirt dirt. Dirt dirt. Yeah. Everybody's got to clap dirt dirt. Yeah. So they're like complimentary husband and wife wife songs, I think. But <laughs> it's very much of its time. Yeah. I mean, there's even a clip actually on top of the pops. I think on YouTube, there's a clip of it on top of the pops with Morris in the background on the on the acoustic guitar. It was recorded, I believe, in in roundabout. Um, January time, 71 and it had quite an all-star lineup. It had John Bonham from Led Zeppelin on drums. It had Jack Bruce from Cream on bass Leslie Harvey from some group called Stone the Crows Oh yeah. It managed to, for such a poppy song to get these people that I mean, certainly Led Zeppelin are not known for their sort of instant pop music are they? It's a good little pop song don't think it did anything in, in the charts, to be honest with you. In the Ultimate Biography, according to this, Morris and Billy had offered Lulu several titles from which to choose from, because we've read there they do work quite a lot together, don't they? But this is the number she liked best. It says here, the results was a, a lovely, very pleasing record, but it did nothing very much and never hit the charts. So I'm quite surprised, really, it was on top of the pops. Unless they had a, a section... In '71, of playing new releases, but usually they always used to say to get to appear on top of the pops, it's worth about a five hundred thousand in sales of a single. So obviously it wasn't particularly like, was it? Or whether Lulu wasn't seen as a, because then she went after the '60s, sort of. I think end of the '60s she had her own TV show in similar to Silla Black. Right. So she went in the realms of middle of the road variety singer. And she just probably was seen at a place on top of the pops. I don't know, but she did come back with David Bowie's "The Man Who Solved the World," which is brilliant. Well, I do think that everybody clap has got a little.
0: Well, it sounds very nineteen seventy one. It's not a million
1: miles away from glam. Well, no. Well, and in fact, you should say it because on my notes here, I've put early glam with. Yeah. If you see on the on the clip, she's got a sort of a sort of a Susie Quattro haircut and yeah, <laughs> and the dance that goes with it as well. So that isn't the last of Lulu. I think we do manage to hear on a Bee Gees song as well um, that was written specially for in 1989 1990. But we'll cover that one in, in however many months or years. So I think after that one, Chris, shall we dig into a couple of the leftovers and release songs? God's Good Grace? Yeah, we'll go with that one.
3: Thank God's Good Grace, we're beginning. Thank God's good grace I'm alive Thank God's good grace We are winning Our will to survive
0: This is a Barry, Robin and Morris Composition credit And it's another of those Bee Gees songs That I think is instantly recognisable With its melody Despite being unreleased You only need to hear it once For it to stick
1: I don't if it was recorded at the same time as Country Woman, the greatest, the greatest Man, but I feel like this sounds, like you said all three, but it, it's predominantly a Robin, Robin song, but it, it goes back to me to songs like um, Don't Forget Me Ida, yeah, yeah. we talked about in the previous pod, lovely songs. I can't believe that they're sitting in the vault somewhere even though it's heavily bootlegged as many of these that we talk about are it's still a shame that they're not going to be heard by more more people because it's such a waste
3: Thank God's good grace We're beginning Thank God's good grace I'm alive Thank God's good grace We are winning our will
0: to survive This one lacks the string arrangements that would allow it to be on Trafalgar and I do wonder whether there are other more complete versions or if this, this version that we've got a hold of is the most complete version that there is.
1: Yeah, this could fit on any pre-BG split album. We don't score these, but if, if I was going to score it, it'd be a seven on this mm-hmm.
0: one. We'll then go on to the next of these unreleased tracks, and that's Irresponsible, Unreliable, Indispensable Blues, which is a lovely short title. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this one. This could be my favourite of these um, unreleased songs for this album. Although it does sound a bit more suited to Two Years On than Trafalgar. I just love that
1: it's so different to the rest of the stuff. I sometimes think, well, I wonder why they didn't put this out. I mean, I can't see it really fitting this. And I suppose it's in similar vein to Every Second, Every Minute from Two Years On. But then it's another song that, It's very similar to an outtake from Cucumber Castle. And it's that sort of style of song that Barry writes, but doesn't seem to push forward for an album.
0: I don't know why. And this one was recorded 29th of March. So pretty late on, you know, about a week before sessions for Trafalgar Finish. Yeah.
1: I mean, it was originally called Bring Out of the Thoughts in Me, but definitely a a style that I would have liked to see more of. And... We say it doesn't fit, but do you find on side two of Trafalgar, the tempo stays straight? You know, it, I said, was it side one where it, vary? it dips a little bit with remembering, yeah. and when do I? Could we have took that out and put irresponsible this one <laughs> and then go into yeah. somebody stop the music? Or
0: maybe vice versa, somebody stop the music and because it's got that guitar acoustic bit could then segue into this one. Into this, yeah. Yeah.
1: They're, they're trying different stuff out just a shame it is, it's not it, it never saw a home no it doesn't see a home along with the next one and I think I've got if I was a sky yep.
0: I find this to be the least memorable of these leftovers. Maybe it could have worked on Trafalgar, but oh. I don't rate this one too highly. Oh, really? really?
1: <laughs> I've got here unreleased songs, the best of the batch.
0: Wow. Maybe oh. I, need, I need to revisit this.
1: And maybe I need to as well. But uh, I, I preferred it to God's Goods Grace. It, it's a little bit difficult to compare to Irresponsible because obviously they're two different, different styles. But again, it, it it's a lovely production. It's got a really nice uplifting chorus. Yeah, and again, same with that the rest of the album, it's just a Barry and Robin composition. Yeah. And again, it's something I think could have worked well pre-split. But it's good that I've I've been hearing these songs for 15, 16 years, and you literally A couple of months, couple of months a couple of weeks, a couple of minutes for some of them. Oh <laughs> I'll just turn it off. Yeah. According to Joseph Gibbs songs, there's a four-track reel dated the February the fourth, and it's called Demo Sessions. I'll go through some of the songs. Uh, there's one called Boots, Night Watch, Telegraph to the Pine Trees, You Leave Me Hanging On, Mister Good Memories, Man, Long Chain On, Cigarette and Blue. So rare ones on here. Now, You Keep Me Hanging On by is by the Supremes. Long chain on is by Peter Paul and Mary, so there may be non There may be two non-originals there, but according to Joseph, the beeches have written some odd titles, so it's unknown. So I suppose until this tape gets heard, yeah, that one. What was it? Telephone and pine trees. Yeah. So telegraph to the pine trees. That's like paper mache cabbages. Yeah, and there's one called now. Excuse me, my pronunciation. It's something like come on, tapale have a job speaking it but um, (laughs) make that what you will yeah but yeah so that's another bunch of songs that he's not even put down who wrote it so obviously there's nothing known about it apart from this just names on a tape yeah there's two little odd songs that I'd like to cover one being a TV jingle for Ultra Bright which in the UK or around it is is a toothpaste if you're going to get anyone to promote toothpaste it's going to be one of the Brothers (laughs) Gibb Yeah. And then the second song we're going to do is a traditional song from the Isle of Man called Elen Van In. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start off with a jingle.
2: Fresh taste, ultra bright, the
3: fresh green taste makes your day happen. Smile, white, ultra bright, let your smile go, make it all
1: happen. Fresh, green, white, bright, it's the ultra bright. Well, according to um, Joseph Brennan, Morris made some money in 71 writing advertising jingles. Since commercial work was looked down upon, his efforts were never publicised, making it hard to track down how many he did. Three are known, this one for toothpaste and two more for candies. There was one called from Spangles and I think one for Capri's chocolate, I believe. The Ultrabite ad was sung by session singer Rob Saker, with whom Morris would work with occasionally over the next few years.
3: that
0: all brings us to the last recording that we'll cover in today's episode and that is Ilan Vannin which has also become known as the unofficial national anthem of the Isle of Man and this is based on a poem by Eliza Craven Green which was originally published in 1854 oh, wow. and then was later set to music now there was a version that I was aware of from 1998 but it wasn't until we went through the research and you pointed out and, and discovered that there was that Version from 71. Yeah. For an anthem, I think it's a really beautiful piece. It's It can almost be like a long-lost Robin song, isn't it? And it's something that the Bee Gees, they would have a lot of personal history to it, being that it's their birthplace. Yeah. Despite the lo-fi
1: quality, I can hear Robin on lead. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got a, a quote here. It says, On the tapes, Barry can be heard explaining to engineer Mike Clayton before taping the piece The Bee Gees initially intended Elaine to be a tag, and more than likely it probably would be If I Were The Sky. That's what we we just heard of. The song's title comes from the Manx language name for their birthplace, the Isle of Man. Before the one and only take of the song, Morris will note Elaine Valin theme tune from The Isle of Man. Robin quickly adds, It's like If I Were The Sky, to which Barrow equips the Isle of Man pub song. The production will be taped off by a simple string score, courtesy of Bill Shepherd.
0: Quite a fitting way to, to close off the recordings for this episode. With an anthem. Bye.
1: Well, I think, Chris, all that leaves us now is a a couple of, lot we normally go through, is a couple of um, song titles where we've never heard. So I'll just plough through, like always, I have to dig deep into um, Andrew's book. But the first title that I've got is called Deep in the Dark of the Day. And this one features a joint lead vocal from Barry and Robin and fascinatingly, possibly improvised lyrics. The song, propelled by a heavy electric guitar riff and huge drums, is certainly the most rocking track from the entire era. Unfortunately, the Bee Gees will decide to leave it in the can, despite numerous tracks of overdubbed vocals. So we're getting, it sounds like something even rockier than irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And the next title I've got is called I'm Only Me. Robin adds, it's a ruffie," referring to the fact that this is simply a demo. While introducing the second demo called There's Something I Want to Tell You, Morris indicates that there will be dialogue to precede it, after which Barry mentions some actors like Rex Harrison who might sing these songs in a fantasy film project. The final number they do of these trios is a song called Amorous Aristocracy and features alternating vocals from Barry and Robin with Morris joining on the chorus. The results are similar to some of the comedy numbers from their childhood nightclub act and are less baldy than the title might imply. None of these three compositions will be heard of again. And the last one I've got is a song called A World of Love, which were built around a piano track from Morris. After a full run-through on take one, take two will be considered the master track to which layers of vocals will be overdubbed. Barry will sing lead on this ballad, which again will never surface commercially. Great stuff.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Dad. And thank you, Andrew Sandoval. Yeah, thank you.
3: I can still feel the breeze That rustles through the trees And misty memories has gone by
1: How did Trafalgar perform in the charts? Well, I'm sorry to say it's well, not as good as, as two years on, actually. Um, UK, Germany didn't chart. It got to number 34, which is two two places less than what two years on got. So shame, really, isn't it? It is, considering the quality
0: of this album is far and above two years on, far and above a lot of the the other albums that achieved much higher in the charts. Yeah, great shame.
1: Yes, because really within sort of 10, 12 months, you've got two albums that appear. So whether there was a bit of sort of overkill or not, I don't know, but we'll have to see and see what, um, what the next one brings.
2: In the heart. And then...
1: In February, the group travelled to New York for an appearance on the Dick Cavett Show and it was the beginning of a seven-concert tour. It was the first time they'd been on the road since the close of the German tour in December 1968. The show opens with New York Mining Disaster and followed it with To Love Somebody. The third song was Really and Sincerely and as the uh, crescendo was building, the curtains were raised to reveal a 20-piece orchestra in full evening dress. The Bee Gees played all their previous hits with this orchestra back in, finishing off with the triumph Lonely Days. Morris said it was incredible. It was the first time we actually been on stage in two and a half years. Nothing is spontaneous on stage. Everything is made to look spontaneous, but it's all carefully calculated. Actually, Robin forgot the lyrics in Really and Sincerely. He used some from I Started a Joke. So when we got to I Started a Joke, he just used the lyrics to Really and Sincerely <laughs> that he'd forgotten and no one knew the difference. They thought we just rewrit it for the stage. And then later on in February, the Bee Gees perform in Vancouver. I think it's the first time they've been in Canada. So I assume then back in March and they carry on with the um, recording. Yeah. Yet yeah, around this time, while all this activity was going on, there's a couple of interesting releases, actually. There was a, In Germany, there was a double album release called The Best of the Bee Gees. And it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag, really, because they, they dip back to a song called Daydream from 1966. And they also cover some songs from the solo years, one million years. And they cover, I believe, up to two years on, because there's Man For All Seasons on here. Railroad and then a couple of album tracks like Craze Finton, Every Christian Lineheart, Portrait of Louise. In France, Italy, Norway, Germany, Polydor released The Best of the Bee Gees Volume 2. And this one really collects all the solo singles. So you've got Lamplight, One Million Years, Saved by the Bell, August October, Railroad, I'll Kiss Your Memory, yep. Lonely Days, Tomorrow Tomorrow. Even lamplight from Odessa. Whether that was released as a promotion that the Bee Gees have got back together again.
0: It nicely ties up the past eighteen months of their recording career. Yeah. And I'm sure some of those songs, August, October, or I'll Kiss Your Memory, might have been lost on a few different audiences. Yeah. So it's a nice way
1: to just compile them all together. But then, obviously, a bit later on, we did get the Best of Bee Gees Volume Two, which, which was, it must be a little bit confusing if you lived in. France or Italy or something to see, or think, well, we've already got it. So I suppose there should have been Best of Volume 3.
0: Looking at some critical reception online, on Unsung, Flashback Caruso says, the sequence of rather glum albums they produced in the early 1970s, while undeniably patchy, contain many great moments the best of these is Trafalgar coming after the rather tentative reunion album Two Years On this feels more like a return to the vaguely conceptual tendencies of 1969's masterful Odessa Mm
1: -hmm. agree with that
0: Bruce Eder on all music references to the album's packaging and artwork saying that it's all imparted the sense of a concept album though nothing in the music said so except perhaps the finale, Walking Back to Waterloo. Despite the hit single, the album showed the limits of the Bee Gees' talents as songwriters and of their appeal as album artists. And then in the description for Trafalgar on Apple Music, it reads, the tunes effortlessly sway between super lows and highs, gloom and joy. Mm. The whole album's a beautiful downer like that. Which I think is a really nice summary of the album. And I can see that on Amazon... From 42 ratings, this album has four stars out of five. That's excellent then, isn't it? I remember back from the first few albums that we looked at, Horizontal, Bee Gees First, they all seem to range three and a half stars, four stars. We've yet to come across that five star album, whatever it might be. I put out the survey for Trafalgar and looking at what came in at number one, as we expected, How Can You Dearest. Mend? A... Dearest. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number one was How Can You Mend a Broken Heart with 9.2. The next song on the complete opposite end of the album, Your Favourite, was Walking Back to Waterloo. Excellent. That had an 8.6. In third place was Trafalgar. Fourth place was Just the Way, so a lot of love for the Morris songs. Yeah. In fifth place was Don't Want to Live Inside Myself with 7.7. And then coming in at joint sixth, sharing 7.6 was the two Barry songs, Israel and Greatest Man in the World. In seventh place, Lion in Winter. So just a quick look at that then It wasn't the right way to go for the second single, was it? No, because then the bottom three on the survey, as we might have expected, were the three Robin dominant compositions. Mm. When do I came in at ninth? Dearest came in 10th with a 6.7, and then number 11 was Remembering, which had 6.1. Not too bad, but as we expected. But at least they all got some votes. And we then received some emails of opinions of the album. Frode Apeland says, Trafalgar is actually one of the two Bee Gees albums included in the book 1001 albums you must hear before you die. The other being Odessa. So is Trafalgar one of the Bee Gees' two most important albums? The album surely starts off well, with the wonderful song How Can You Mend a Broken Heart. In addition to the opener, I really like The Greatest Man in the World, Lion in Winter, and Walking Back to Waterloo. In conclusion, I feel that even though this album is better than two years on, this album is a bit uneven in quality. It does puzzle me that this album was included in the 1001 Albums list. Yeah, I'm surprised with that as well, yeah. Because the brothers have several better and more important albums than this one, I suspect that the author of the book has not heard all of the Bee Gees' albums. Being a Bee Gees fan myself, I certainly do treasure Trafalgar, but I think the Bee Gees would have made a much better album if they had merged Two Years On and Trafalgar into one album. Interesting. Yeah. Man. What songs from tra- from Two Years On could you put on?
1: Lonely Days, Man <laughs> <laughs> for All Seasons. <laughs>
0: Daniel Navarro sent in an email saying, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart is a classic. Perfect harmonies on a song where the singer longs for the past, while wallowing in sorrow of a current failed relationship. The B-side, Morris's Country Woman, should have been included on the album in place of Israel or Greatest Man in the World. Daniel goes on to say that Country Woman is one of his favourites, and this album could have had three Morris songs, which would have been unprecedented at the time. I don't don't think Morris ever has three songs on an album. No.
1: I mean, he's quite fortunate to get the one, isn't
0: he? Yeah. And then his sizes and everything. And this is where I came in. He, He gets two on both of those. And then Daniel describes Walking Back to Waterloo as a majestic song, saying that as Robin sings the opening line, I imagine a heavy mist from which a large clipper emerges with its large white sails touching the sky. This album has a better mix than two years on, giving it a much fuller sound. Yeah, I agree. And then lastly, Stephen delue says, Trafalgar is one of my favourite Bee Gees albums. In my opinion, if it wasn't for two of the very rare Bee Gees songs I really don't like, I wonder which ones those are, I think it would have been one of their best ever and most consistent albums, certainly more so than Odessa. After listening to the album to refresh my memory, these are my thoughts on some of the songs. It's Just The Way is a great Morris lead. I agree with George Sharostin. Who said that this song was a great acoustic, electric melody, but the best thing is Morris's brilliant Lennon impersonation and the subtle changes of vocal notes? Mm. Stephen goes on to say that remembering really does sound like a bloody nanny goat. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> Stephen says that somebody stopped the music has some great hooks in it, and that Trafalgar is another great very beatlesque song. Don't Want to Live Inside Myself has a great vocal performance by Barry and a fantastic chorus. And Walking Back to Waterloo is another of the album highlights with How Can You Mend a Broken Heart being one of their all-time classic ballads.
1: Good. Thank you very much for everyone for sending in their thoughts. On that note, we've covered everything. I think it's been great to go through all these
0: recordings. It's been a a really nice time to revisit this album. It's always going to be a great favourite of mine. Yeah. I'll pose a final question to you. Has your opinion on the album changed?
1: No, not really. Yeah, there were one or two songs I would say have improved slightly. Yeah. I've always liked Had You Made a Broken Heart, The Greatest Man in the World. They've always been my two favourites. And even 30 Years Down the Line, after I first got it, those two are my, still my two favourites.
0: It's the next couple of albums, I think, where I'm going to hopefully really see an improvement after revisiting them.
1: Yes, well, you'll certainly find a... Um, a mixed bag with the next one but we'll wait and see what that uh, what we think on that one
0: Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees Podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepsen. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com.